Um, for myself, whenever I complete a book, this is just something that I have always done. I put a sticker next to the um, to the book of the Bible, and sometimes I'll have more than one sticker because I've completed it more than one time. And I also write a date on where I was at the time and what ministry or what event was going on. So if you want to have a sticker next to the book of Romans, I'll leave them up here. You can just come up and grab one. Then you can put on their CCRS 2017 Women's Bible Study. So, we now come to the end of Paul writing to the church in Romans. His personal greetings and conclusions. So let's pray first. Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, that you've brought us here, Lord, small but mighty, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that each individual woman here, Lord, that you will just touch her heart in a way that no one else can touch it, Lord. And Father, I ask that you um, bless this time we commit it to you. And Holy Spirit, come in and fill this place and move through the caverns of our soul. And teach us, Lord, what you want us to know about this last chapter in the book of Romans. Amen. Okay, well, I'm sure you probably thought, well, you know, it's just a short chapter. He's just kind of closing things out and then gives us one more final warning and then we'll be done and fast and quick study. Well, you're wrong. Because if you've studied the book of Romans like we have in the past year, I'm sure you'll see that every chapter is packed with a lot of stuff. And I'm going to try to get through it to you guys in the next 30 minutes. So as we see here in Romans chapter 16, do we have it up yet? No, not yet. Okay, that's good. Um, Paul dips his feathered pen probably one more time in the ink to say his last sayings to the church. Personal commendations and greetings and a final warning regarding false teachers. The promise of spiritual victory and a heartfelt benediction. And I also can see him, if you can just visualize Paul, as he signs his name to the letter, as he closes the letter, maybe he seals it, maybe he had a signet ring, and he gives it to Phoebe to take to Rome. He starts packing for Jerusalem to deliver the collection of money for the church in Jerusalem, almost like how what we do here at Running Springs, how we support and collect monies for missionaries all around the country. And then thinking of his trip to Spain, and he's going to stop in Rome for a quick rest, maybe some relaxation, and a visit to a church that he's never seen of but he's heard about. And we all know that that did not happen according to Paul's way of thinking how it was going to happen. We all know that God changed that in a direct and fast way. And if you don't know that story, write down Acts 21. If you don't know the story of Paul, he starts in the book of Acts. We did that last year. But specifically, you can find that change of direction in Acts 21. So the question is, how many of you had had plans that you were so sure of that were just going to work out wonderful, and then next thing you know, God changed them. I think we can all just raise our hands. Well, the book of Romans is also known as the Romans Road, and I had Kiana bring up um, a picture for you. So if you will, go ahead and take out some highlighters. If you haven't already, we're going to go ahead and highlight the Romans Road. So I'm going to look this way so we can follow it together. 
I also have in my Bible on the introduction to the book of Romans, it kind of gives you um, some room to write. I have written down in my own Bible the Romans road to salvation. And we're going to start off by looking at Romans 3.23. So go ahead and flip there and I'll speak while you're flipping. And this picture starts on the top right hand side. You can see how we're going to start at the top and we're going to make our way all the way down. So the first verse on the Romans road to salvation is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We have all done things that are displeasing to God. There is no one who is innocent. Your second scripture that you're going to find and highlight will be Romans 6.23. This teaches us about the consequences of our sins. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The punishment that we have earned for our own sins is death. Not physical death, but eternal death. So that's the next one. The third verse on the Romans road to salvation picks up where Romans 6.23 left off. So keep your pen there or your highlighter and now go ahead and highlight the rest of it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus' death paid for the price of our sins. His resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sins. Next on our Romans road is Romans 5.8. So go ahead and flip there and highlight that one. This one is telling us that God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the next stop is Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, all we have to do is believe in him, trusting in his death as the payment for our sins, and we will be saved. Romans 10.13 also says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is available to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay, the final aspect of the Romans' road to salvation. We also look here on Romans 6, 4. So if you want to back up and highlight that one, I don't have that one written down, but go ahead um, and find that one and highlight that. That's Romans 6, 4. Or you can write them down and highlight later. And the final aspect of the Romans' road to salvation is the result of our salvation. We find that in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship and peace of God, peace with God. Romans 8.1 teaches us, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of Jesus' death on our behalf. We will never be condemned for our sins. And finally, if you want to flip over to Romans 8.38 and 39, we have the precious promise of God. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question is, and I don't think anyone here, but I do have it here on my notes, if any one of you who have not taken these steps, or you're just not sure of these steps, to please make that choice today. You can talk to your group later. You can come up to me later. and um, Or I'd encourage you to spend some time with one of our pastors on staff here at Calvary Chapel Running Springs. It's very important that um, we look at Jesus Christ being our true, true Savior in our heart and helping us to get to that Romans Road plan of salvation. Okay, Romans chapter 16. Go ahead and flip over there. Let's just do a little recapping for you guys real quick. In chapters 1 through 8, Paul explains the fundamentals and foundations of the Christian faith. This is the gospel message, which all believers are commanded to share with the entire world. Chapters 9 through 11, Paul explains God's sovereignty over salvation. He also spells out how an individual may come into a right relationship with God. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth we confess, resulting in salvation. And in chapters 12 through 16, Paul gives instructions for all of us Christians about how to live a holy lifestyle. And so let's look now at chapter 16. But before we do that, I find it very important that we start, go back to chapter 15. We could find out exactly where he is thinking at. Go with me to chapter 15. And let's start together in verse 14. I'm going to be reading it from the message translation. It's more of a softer um, speaking. So here we go in chapter 14 of Romans 15. Personally, I've been completely satisfied with you, with who you are and what you are doing You seem to me, and he's talking to the church, you seem to me to be well-motivated, well-instructed, quite capable of guiding and advising one another. So, my dear friends, don't take my rather bold and blunt language as criticism. It's not criticism. I'm simply underlining how very much I need your help in carrying out this highly focused assignment God gave me this priestly and gospel work of serving the spiritual needs of the non-Jewish outsiders so they can be presented as an acceptable offering to God, made whole and holy by God's Holy Spirit. Looking back over what has been accomplished and what I have observed, I must say I am most pleased. In the context of Jesus, I'd even say proud but only in the context. I have no interest in giving you a charity account of my adventures, only the wondrously powerful and transforming present words and deeds of Christ in me that triggered a believing response among the outsiders. In such ways, I have trailblazed a preaching of the message of Jesus all the way from Jerusalem far into northwestern Greece. 
This has all been pioneer work, bringing the message only into those places where Jesus was not yet known and worshipped. My next text has been, those who were never told of him, they'll see him. Those who never heard of him, they'll get the message. And that's why it has taken me so long to finally get around to coming to you. But now that there is no more pioneering work to be done in these parts, and since I have looked forward to seeing you for many years, I'm planning my visit. I'm headed for Spain and expect to stop off on the way to enjoy a good visit with you and eventually have you send me off with God's blessing. First, though, I'm going to Jerusalem to deliver a relief offering to the Christians there, the Greeks, all the way from the Macedonians in the north to the Achaeans in the south decided they wanted to take up a collection for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were happy to do this, but it was also their duty. Seeing that they got in on all the spiritual gifts that flowed out of the Jerusalem community so generously, it is only right that they do what they can to relieve the poverty. As soon as I have done this, personally handed over this fruit basket, I'm off to Spain with a stopover with you in Rome, My hope is that my visit with you is going to be one of Christ's most extravagant blessings. I have one request, dear friends. Pray for me. Pray strenuously with with and for me to God the Father through the power of our Master Jesus, through the love of the Spirit, that I will be delivered from the lion's den of unbelievers in Judea. Pray also that my relief offering to the Jerusalem Christians will be accepted in the spirit in which it is given. Then, God willing, I'll be on my way to you with a light and eager heart, looking forward to being refreshed by your company. God's peace with you all. Oh, yes. And that is how he ends chapter 15. And now as he closes chapter 16... we see that he's tickled pink for his traveled plans. He mentions everyone he wants to, and he reminds me of when I go on vacation, I go through my list of things that I want to do when I get there and the things that I need to do before I get there. This part of Paul's uh, story reminds me of Psalm 16.9. A A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And Paul's heart had such good intentions, but God had different plans. And sometimes when we're planning what to do next, maybe in ministry, maybe in your life, um, maybe with your family, um, and we think about how good this is going to be and how beneficial it's going to help you, and then God takes it to a whole different level. And maybe God takes it nowhere. And so you're left with these plans that you thought of And you thought they were of good intention, but nothing's happening. And you find that God shut that door. Now, has that happened to anybody? Of course. So being able to recognize and being able to accept that God has different plans and that he will either reveal to us why something went different or he can choose not to reveal anything at all. We need to be obedient and accept the plans he has put before us. There are things that have happened to us that we will never find out why until we reach heaven and ask him directly. So if you're at a crossroad this morning, 
take the path that God has put in front of you. It could be something or it could be nothing. It could also be a test. Chapter 16, 1 through 16, a list of people that made an impact on Paul's life who were co-laborers in Christ with him through thick and thin, and they stuck it out together. The value of Paul's extensive greetings to the Roman church. We have a commentary. Mr. Morris says he explains that this section of chapter 16 demonstrates that the letter to the Romans was a letter to real people. And as far as we can see, ordinary people, just like you, just like myself. And it was not written to professional theologians. Spurgeon says it like this. They were like the most of us, commonplace individuals, and they loved the Lord. And therefore, as Paul recollected their names, he sent them a message of love, which has become embalmed in the Holy Scriptures. Do not let us think of the distinguished Christians exclusively so as to forget the rank and file of the Lord's army. Do not let the eye rest exclusively upon the front lines of God's army or God's workers. But let's all love all whom Christ loves. Let us value all Christ's servants. It is better to be... It is better to be... um, This is what he says. It is better to be God's dog than to be the devil's darling. So, kind of weird twist there from Spurgeon. So, let's look at a few people um, in verses 1 through 16. He first mentions a woman named Phoebe. The Bible doesn't say whether she was married, widowed, or just single all her life. This gives me encouragement because you don't have to be married or be a pastor's wife, or be a pastor's daughter, or be in a high-ranking situation somewhere to have a calling in ministry. All you need is a heart to serve Jesus and live your life as best as you can according to God's will. Now, what does that look like? What does God's will look like? Well, Scripture makes it clear and abundantly that God, first and foremost, wants us to know him. To have a relationship with him, to bring glory to him by the way we live our lives. By how we relate to him and others, summed up best in the scripture's passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That is God's will. The Bible is God's will. So remember, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. Look at his disciples. Look at the women in the bloodline of Jesus. Jesus qualifies the called. And if you're here this morning and have a heart to serve Jesus, then pray about him. He'll show you where, where to serve. Now, our service to Jesus is not limited to one location. It's just not where you're planted. You can serve in multiple locations. You can serve here at Calvary Running Springs in children's ministry. You can work with Greg Laurie in the harvest. You can work and focus on the family, or you can work with the pregnancy outreach. The ministry for Jesus is all around us. You are the ministry of Jesus when you wake up every morning. You are the ministry. And so Phoebe, being the first mentioned, was at the top of the list of these who helped Paul in all areas. Now he mentions a married couple who have stuck their necks out for Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. We learned about them in Acts. 
They were Christians before they met Paul and probably told him much of the church in Rome. Remember, they were expelled along with many Jews from Rome and had moved to Corinth where they met Paul. You can find that story in Acts chapter 18. And doing ministry together with your spouse is a huge, huge blessing. Um, I can say for myself, my husband and I have had many ministry opportunities, not only just here at Running Springs, but a lot of other places. And that's a huge, tremendous blessing. We know that this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, were also missionaries like Paul. They helped believers in Ephesus, but mostly they were effective behind the scenes. Their gifts primarily were hospitality, friendships, and more person-to-person teaching. They were not gifted with public speaking, but more private evangelists. And so how many of us can say that we hate to be standing up in front of an audience? (laughs) How many of us can say we love the one-on-one teaching with just one person, and then the Holy Spirit can just take it off? We're all different. Paul mentions a few more. Let's see if I can get their names right. Andronicus and Junia, another Jewish couple who were in prison with Paul and whom he calls prominent among the apostles. This could mean that they maybe they had distinguished themselves amongst the apostles or either case they were doing ministry and were recognized for it. But remember the church's base was broad. It crossed cultural social and economic lines. The church in Rome was up and running when Paul writes this message. We also get a glimpse from this list that Paul mentions that the church was mobile. A lot of these people, remember if you were here last year when we did the book of Acts, a lot of these people Paul is mentioning, he himself ran into during his journey while he was spreading the message of Christ. And why does the Bible write about so many people as we can see there are behind the scenes? Why does God choose to put them in the, in the Bible? Well, here's a few things to show us that God cares about individuals and knows them by name. God knows your name. To demonstrate that God keeps record on his people, noting the areas in which they have given faithful service. God knows and sees everything you do even all the the behind-the-scenes stuff and even all the yucky stuff that we don't tend to um, like to get our hands in, but God sees that. Also to show us that people of all backgrounds, race, social status, and education are of equal importance to God and his church. So God just doesn't use different people. God uses the willing heart. Sometimes our flesh wants the praise of man for recognition on what we're doing, but God is the only person we should be serving, not ourselves. Next in our chapter 16, Paul takes a break in the name mentioning to drop in a warning. Watch out for false prophets. They don't follow Christ, and they're only out for themselves. They're pretty good at tricking people into following them. So in eternal vigilance, everyone, is the warning there. And let's pick that up on verse 17. If you look at that with me, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Now he's speaking to the church here because he's mentioning brothers and sisters. He's speaking to those who believe, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. 
that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Is he saying not to hang out with your non-Christian family and friends? What is he saying there? That'll be up to you on where the Holy Spirit directs you on that. I know for myself, we can be cordial at certain times of the year with our non-Christian family and friends, but we're not going to make vacation plans to go hang out with them. The Bible commands Christians to be the light in a dark world. We need to be loving, kind, and gentle with all people. We need people to see Christ in us. This means whether they are the nicest people you know or whether they are terrible pagans doing every sin in the book. We're supposed to be like Christ. We are supposed to set an example and love all. We aren't supposed to engage in their sin or with them or love it. But we are called to love them. The Bible also tells us not to be unequally yoked. I see this as a dating courtship. Now, some of us may have been unequally yoked when we were dating our spouses, not walking with the Lord together, and then one of us became a Christian, and then now we're still waiting for the other one to come alongside. So is he saying to divorce that person? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Just continue to love as Christ loved you. Paul makes three points. First, believers need to be on guard against false teachers, and he's going to tell us what they look like. Second, even obedient Christians need to be on guard against false teachers. And third, ultimately, it's the God of peace and his grace that protects us from falling prey to false teachers. Now, believers need to be on guard against false teachers. Urge is a very strong word. If we look at that in verse 17, he's urging the brothers and sisters. Paul is talking to believers, and he shows us how to recognize these false teachers. One, the motivation of a false teacher is to promote themselves, causing dissension and stumbling blocks. False teachers attempt to build a following because they have promoting themselves and being the center of attention. They're after power, fame, and money. They don't seek to exalt Christ or him crucified. They don't hold firmly to the gospel. So if you're ever somewhere and Jesus is not the center of that church, it's probably a self-promoting church. Those who cause divisions and offenses, this has in mind both those who would divide God's people. And I'm sure you probably have names running through your head right now on who you know divides God's people, causing divisions, and those who would deceive God's people, offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Once these have been noted, he's saying to avoid them. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit abiding in us is to help us be aware of these things. The second truth to a false teacher is the message of false teachers is to contradict core biblical truth. Their message is contrary to the teaching which you've learned. Paul is mainly referring to the truth of the gospel which the Romans had believed 
and which Paul had set forth so clearly in his letter. The third one is the master of false teachers is their own appetites, not Jesus. False teachers are in the ministry for their own profit or gain. They take people's money so they can live lavishly. I'm sure we can see some of those, <clears throat> especially on TV. And number four, the method of a false teacher is to use smooth and flattering speech to deceive the hearts of the naive. False teachers are usually nice, likable, and winsome. They flatter you by telling you what you want to hear rather than what God's word has to say. They smile a lot as they tell you how great you are and how you can have your best life now. They don't talk about anything negative like sin and the coming judgment. They speak mainly on God's love and acceptance for all apart from repentance. Looking at verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So be wise in the things that are good and be dumb in the things that are evil, meaning be wise in God's scripture. Be dumb on how to learn how to steal something. Don't, don't engage in that. Our focus should be on being wise in the scriptures, knowing the truth will equip you to refute the errors of false teaching. Next in our Romans chapter 16, the conclusion to the letter and his praise to God. Let's look at the remainder, 25 through 27. He also has um, some people he wants to mention, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, uh, Sosipater, Teratus, Gaius, Eurastus, and Cortus all say hello. Lastly, Paul gives one final shout-out to God. He brings strength to all Christians through the good news of Jesus Christ, and he has revealed a super-secret mystery to us so that now everyone Jew and Gentile can share in his godly goodness. So looking at verse 25. Now to him, and who is him? God. Now to him, who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. God's grace is bestowed upon all nations. It is no longer just an exclusive Jewish privilege salvation, but through the obedience of faith the door is open to all men. According to the revelation of the mystery, the whole plan of redemption through Jesus Christ is for all of us. It's not exclusive. Now that the mystery has been revealed through the preaching of the gospel, God calls all nations to be obedient to the faith. And so as we read the book of Romans and how we ended it, go back and reread The Road to Salvation and live by the guidelines that Paul is outlining for us. Do not conform to the things of this world. Love your brother and sister. 
Love your unloving neighbor and your unloving uh, relative. Do ministry or serve for Jesus, not for yourself. Stay obedient to God's word. Start every day with devotions and reading your Bible. Get to know the God of this world he created, and you'll find that he loves you so much that he gave up his only son for you to live eternally with him. So show the love of Jesus to all because Jesus came to save all. Amen? Amen. We have one more song, so let's go ahead and rise.